Um, so we are going to continue through our study in the book of Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And um, this is, again, for the Israelites, an exciting time as uh, Moses is preparing them to enter into the promised land. And so uh, Moses is making sure that he walks them through everything that the Lord is commanding Moses to walk them through, continuing to be obedient um, to the preparation that is being um, uh, that is being done through through Moses. Now, in the previous two chapters, we saw how Moses led the Israelites uh, down memory lane. Is what he did in order for them to understand what, who, through, and where God had delivered them. Deuteronomy thirty-one six says, "Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes before you. He will not leave you or forsake you." And so as we, we continue to move along through this book, we'll see exactly how it is that the Lord, through the law and through these encouraging words that Moses has for the children of Israel, is making sure that they know exactly who is with them and who goes before them. Now the 40 years in the wilderness are coming to a close, and the Israelites were about to enter into the promised land. And so again, Moses is preparing them to do just that. So first, a reminder of the journey itself is what we went over the last couple of chapters, chapters 2 and chapters 3, and, uh, and all that God did for them throughout that time. Now Moses moves to declaring to them God's law that will see them through all of their journeys, um, not only now, but in the future as they go into the promised land. Um, and that is so that they will occupy, they will dwell in the land successfully to God's glory. Therefore, Moses, before Moses goes over the law that God had given him on Mount Sinai, he gives them a, a bit of an introduction to the law. In chapter 5, we'll, we'll get into the Ten Commandments, and, uh, and he'll lay them all out. But this is a bit of an introduction going into um, that proclamation. And what he's telling them overall, in, in general and in, in brief, is that they would be careful to receive the law and to keep it. That was the bottom line for what he prepared them to receive in the law, to receive it themselves, to, to possess it for themselves, and for that to be evident in their lives by being faithful in keeping it, by living it, in other words. Past failures, in fact, um, they were remembered, and um, they, have, they have a meaning, they have a, a, a purpose um, for remembering them, and that is to help the Israelites avoid them in the present day. Uh, something that we should learn ourselves as we, as we do think about those things that perhaps we failed in the past, they should serve us in the present day so that we won't repeat some of those things and even be better for it. Um, in fact, I was telling one of my sons the other day of that, that very thing. You know that as we do remember those things, because I, I bring things up, to my boys, you know, hey, listen, I know. In fact, you know the whole thing about, um, you know, in, in this, I don't know, the last probably 15, 20 years, there's been those participation trophies, right? You guys know, hey, if, you're, if you just participated on the team, and even if you came in last place, um, hey, everyone's a winner, and it, it really is a setup to fail, to fail in the future because you get so self-centered that um, everyone's telling you you're a winner, that even if you do bad and you don't win, 
in the real world, um, you think that you are entitled to something, some kind of a trophy, something even equal to the person who is doing the best, right? And so I was telling uh, my son, telling, hey, listen, you're going to fail. You're going to even lose. But you got to learn from that so that, number one, you don't repeat those things, especially if it's sin. And number two, if it's performance-wise, then always seek to do better. Why? Because whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we should always do it to the glory of God, right? And so this is something that Moses was bringing up to the Israelites. He was telling the Israelites, hey, these things happen, but they should serve us today as an example for us to avoid some things and follow others. So let's learn alongside the Israelites as Moses exhorts them before the great and awesome promised land that is before them. Let's pray, though. Father, we thank you, Lord, for those times that we do lose, that we do fail. Thank you, Lord, that even as a father or a mother here on earth, we don't leave our sons or our daughters just because they stumble. In fact, we so desire to help them get back up and continue on the path to keep their eyes before them. And that whatever stumble they experience would serve them to do better and to perhaps be more aware of what caused them to fall. I pray that you would do that with us this evening. And Lord, whatever it is that you would have for us to learn from and apply to our lives, I, I, I pray, Father, that we would heed those words, that we would take care and be diligent over our own hearts by knowing the truth, understanding how to apply it in our lives, and live it to your glory. And so, Father, we commit this evening into your hands. Father, we ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's start out. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who led, who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. Verse 5, see I have taught you, see I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. Several things that we can um, take from this. and Number one, Moses is telling them, hey, listen, you, know, just, you need to pay attention. Not just hear what I'm saying, but, but truly listen. 
Secondly, don't change God's word. Remember where you failed and remember who your God is. Let's start out with listening. Verses 1 and 2 speaks very clearly to that commandment, to that exhortation. Listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. It's quite important. It's critical to what and who we listen to. 1 Corinthians 15.33, I remember this is one of the verses that the first caught my attention as I, as I repented of my sins and I came back as a prodigal to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's something good to always keep in mind because we seem to think as, I don't know, like we're, we're above that and we won't be affected by it sometimes and we keep company that would totally ruin our good morals. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the, of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We ought to be as the psalmist. We ought to be as the Lord directs in 1 Corinthians 15.33, and really heed and really understand that it's important to know who we're listening to and what we're listening to. We need to listen to the word as Moses was telling the Israelites, listen to the word of God above all other voices that are competing for our ears and most importantly, for our hearts. There are many voices that are competing for just that, to occupy us, to overwhelm us, to be preeminent in our lives. And yet above all of them, we need to be still and know that God is there and he's speaking to us and we ought to listen to his word above all. Three benefits of listening to God. Number one, as we see here and Moses is reminding the the, uh, Israelites of, number one is to live. Everyone thinks that just a heartbeat in your chest and being able to breathe is living, but that's existing many times. It's not actually living. There are many people who are alive today and yet are desperate, in desperation. They are despondent. They are anxious. They are full of worry, hopelessness. That's not living. That's existing, but that's not living. And what God desires for us to realize and to know is living in peace and in righteousness. So that is exactly what Moses is telling the Israelites. Number one, that you may live. So I'm, I'm expressing, I'm proclaiming to you the word of God and teaching that to you so that you may do that which is before you and that you may live. Secondly, to advance. That is to go in, because that is exactly what the Israelites are being commanded to do. Go into the promised land. Not, hey, if you desire to go in, go in. No, no, no. He's telling them, go in, advance. Move into that which God has given to you to possess. Go in. Thirdly, it's to receive. Receive what the Lord has 
has to give to you. And those are the three things that as the Israelites listen to the word of God, they are commanded to do if they are obedient. But secondly, Moses charges them with one thing, something that we know uh, comes up at the end of the New Testament in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. Don't change, don't take away, and don't add to God's word. We are not to do that. Now, we may say, well, the Israelites didn't like, change the word. It'd be like taking our Bibles, right? And, uh, and starting to cross. I remember this one time, um, someone had uh, brought up as they're teaching the word, and they said, you know, uh, there was this one occasion where a pastor made a point, and he, and he read a chapter, and he, he literally took the page, and he ripped it out, and he threw it down. He says, I don't like that one, so I'm going to take it out. It's a good picture, though right? Like, I, I don't dare do that to my Bible. <laughs> Hopefully he didn't, he had like an extra page in there or something, right? But it's, it's a good point. Because the Israelites may not have done that physically, but they lived as if they had. In fact, the, the serpent told Eve in the garden, did God actually say that? Satan is always at the root of the manipulation, neglect, and rebellion of the Word of God. God wants us to live, advance, and receive, but Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will make every attempt at changing the Word of God in your mind and in your heart by appealing to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He doesn't have any other different schemes, no other ways about him. We can go back to Genesis and go through the whole of the Testament, the, the Old and New Testaments, and, and see that his, his ways are the same. That's what, what he'll appeal to. And Moses is warning them, the only way that the Israelites can keep the commandments is if they do not change them and if they do not add to them. Otherwise, it is a perverted version of the commandments and therefore not the commandments that God had given them at all. Today, there are many who think they are following God when in fact they are not because they've manipulated or added to the word and made it to mean something God did not mean. I mean, we only need to go as far as studying what some of the cults believe. They've added, they've taken away. That's not the word. They perverted it. And in the very same way, God is warning the Israelites, do not change, do not add to that which I have given to you. Because there are ways in which they can add, the ways in which they can take away from the word just as we can. Traditions that contradict the word, either personally, within the family, or worse, within the church. Uh, far be it from the church to be the origin of making up traditions that are unbiblical and treating them like as if they're divine and biblical. There are also councils that misinterpret the word. There are plenty. You can look through the, the history of the church and see how that has taken place. And these are councils that have been held by the people as being equal or even greater 
than the word. And that is greater than God. So Moses is very clear in what he's warning them of in those couple verses there. And then he goes on to give an example of the consequences of sin. He gives them an example in verses 3 and 4. He says, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. This was a place in a time in which they fell to sexual and spiritual immorality. And so he was reminding them of that. Hey, listen, you need to keep this. You need to make sure that you're obedient to the Lord. And by the way, remember this in your past, that you may not repeat that. It's very important for them to understand that so that they will enter the promised land and not do what they had done in the past. God is loving, but he is, he is also just, and he will apply judgment where it is necessary. And that's what Moses was telling them. And then in verses 5 through 8, there's godly wisdom that will serve Israel and glorify the Lord. Now, what is godly wisdom? That's really important for us to understand. Well, God's word, number one, understood, and God's word, number two, observed. Those are the two. When this is true of the people, then others will then acknowledge and identify these people as a people that is governed by God, is a great nation, is a wise nation, whose law is good and righteous. Godly wisdom is gained through situations that test and prove your knowledge and understanding of God's word. Those, as, as difficult as those situations are to go through, they actually do the very thing that the word tells us they do. James 1, 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let that patience, right? Do you, you guys know it? Do its perfect work? They may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. That's it. So to maturity, to being strengthened, to being built up, it's like, well, it doesn't feel too good. That's, that's true. Uh, if, you've, if you've ever uh, lifted weights or done any kind of uh, manual labor, if you do it enough, you don't realize that the same 25 pounds or 50 pounds that you've been picking up doesn't quite feel as heavy the hundredth time as it did the first time or the first five times or ten times, right? Why? Because you're gaining strength. God is refining you through those times, those situations, and it brings about the glory of God because you stand in obedience to him, standing in his truth. Matures a believer. When godly wisdom is demonstrated, it serves as light to darkness, understanding where there is confusion and hope where there is despair and doubt. Matthew 5.16 says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So godly wisdom, number one, blesses God's people as they abide in his truth, and number two, blesses God as it brings him glory. But let's go on. Because Moses exhorts them to take care and keep their souls diligently. Verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. 
and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of, this, of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped, it, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone, and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. We ought not forget, we ought not to forget what we've seen and allow them to escape our hearts. Just as Moses is telling Israel, the people, he says, hey, listen, you have to diligently keep your heart. You, you need to conscientiously, you need to be aware of how to keep your heart lest you forget and allow these things to escape you as time goes by. Well, how? How do we do that? Well, he lays all that out too. Well, number one, know them. That, that actually takes some work and some study, some digging into the word. Moses, as he closes that section, as we um, finished up in, in verse 14, he's, he's telling them, hey, listen, I was teaching you all these statutes, all these, these rules, right? So number one, know them. Number two, do them. And number three, teach them. Teach them to who? Teach them to your children and to your children's children. Let the children see obedience, learn obedience, and be encouraged to live obedience. And thus they are to teach their children in the same way. They're encouraged by that. Um, when the parents are consistent, um, we're not doing one thing and, you know, saying one thing and doing another. We're not up and down, but we're consistent in our walks with the Lord, our lives, in, in doing our best with, with the knowledge that we do have, with the passion that we have for the Lord, with our love that we have for Christ, that we do those things which are pleasing to the Lord, and, and then we teach our kids. So they, they see them, they're being taught them, and then as they do them, we encourage them. Oh man, later on, it's pretty difficult for them to part ways with the Lord, with the Word, that which has been just ingrained in their lives. It's in their hearts. They know it. They know it to be true. They know that God is real because they've seen him in action in their very own lives and in their very own homes. And so God, through Moses, was reminding them of what took place at Mount Horeb. That's Mount Sinai. God had Moses gather all the people to see the mountain burn with fire from heaven. Hear God's voice. They heard the declaration of God's covenant and gave them the Ten Commandments, writing them on two tablets of stone. Moses said that he was commanded by God to teach these statutes and rules to the Israelites. They experienced all of this, and Moses was saying, don't forget this. Don't forget it. Allow that to be a reminder the rest of your lives and, and teach those things to your kids. Tell them about what you experienced. It's important. And one of the things that Moses brought up was this reminder of the covenant that was made between God and his people. 
Back in Exodus chapter 24, verse 3, it says, Moses came and told all the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's a covenant. God promised. The people promised. It's a covenant. God promised to bless his people as they obey the commandments and the people agreed and declared that they would indeed obey God's commandments. And Moses made it a point to say that they had heard God's voice, but something was missing there. They hadn't seen him. He wanted to remind them, hey, listen, you heard God's voice, but you did not see a form. You did not see him at all. Just a voice out of the midst of the fire. And this is important because as Moses continues to instruct them and gives them this introduction to the law, there's one thing that's, that's really emphasized and that is idolatry, to be careful. He's warning them. And we see that starting in verse 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Let's stop there. Um, he's telling them, be careful. Be careful with idolatry. God does not warn except to keep us from those things which are harmful. To help us choose wisely and demonstrate our love for him through our obedience. In this case, God is warning them of something that they are inclined to do. And they've demonstrated it. They've done it in the past. Uh, you remember the golden calf incidents. incident. You know, that was, that was something that, um, well, it's recorded. And all you have to say is golden calf. Right? It's like, oh, yeah, you're right, Moses. We fell in this area and we bowed down and we worshipped and we did all kinds of things around this golden calf. You see, our hearts are wired to worship. And we'll even create things to worship and bow down to. And God was forbidding the Israelites from worshipping creation or anything that is formed to look like it. The earth, the animals that are Below the earth, above the earth, you look up at the stars, the moon, the sun, the universe itself, as beautiful as it is, that is not to be worshipped. 
That's creation. It's, there's a creator. That's what creation speaks of. If you're in awe, you're in awe of creation. You will be more in awe of the creator. In Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18... We read, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Now, these aren't verses to poke fun at people who bow down to a piece of wood. It's actually... To give us understanding of exactly what we can be inclined to do. To do this very thing. Because remember, these are God's people. That's who he's speaking to. That's who Moses is speaking to. That's who, as we go through the New Testament, we're warned again and again of not committing idolatry. Those who practice idolatry are spiritually deaf, mute, and blind, and they are spiritually dead as well, without breath. And to those who insist on idolatry, well, Romans chapter 1 speaks to that. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So they're given over to depraved minds who insist on rebelling against God. And they're just given over to that which they have been worshiping. Creation instead of the Creator. But here Moses is warning them, listen, don't, don't go in this direction. Don't go there. That's rebellion against God. And God was reminding them beyond this that He is the living God who was able and did bring them out of that that furnace, right? That place that they were in bondage out of Egypt. He was able to and He did bring them out from Egypt. And He was telling them, guard yourselves from falling into this false worship of false idols. Now, it's interesting. If you, you know something about Eastern Orthodox churches, um, you know that um, one of the things that they're mainly known for are icons. Um, it, and that's, that's interesting because for them, they, they don't have statue, statues, um, but they do have paintings. So, 2D is okay. 3D apparently is not, right? And what they'll do, if uh, a a true Eastern Orthodox will um, sometimes, if they come into uh, another home that uh, a person who is of the Eastern Orthodox religion uh, is there and there's a painting there, they'll go up to it and they'll kiss it. Um, You go into church, you do that very thing and you go through and and you, you kiss all the saints, Um, so that's okay, right? Eastern Orthodox. Uh, Roman Catholicism. Uh, Statues are okay. 
as well as paintings in all kinds of other things, right? Um, it's very well known. This is not something that I'm sure I'm telling you and you already know it, right? But I'm bringing this up because we ourselves tend to look to these things and they serve as kind of good luck charms. Very superstitious. Um, but let's also not forget that you know what was sewn into the fabric of the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies? You know what was sewn into that? Cherubim. Cherubim. We need to be careful that we don't go too far in what we condemn and what God has not condemned, lest we begin to add or remove from God's word. God was telling the Israelites to not worship a carved image of any of his creation. The problem is when we begin to call such paintings, sculptures, and things divine and sacred when they are not, and even praying to them or using them as talons of luck for specific reasons. And I can tell you, I speak from experience. My family, that's, that's our background. You can literally, for everything, you have a saint, an actual statue that you can pray to and ask that they would bless you with whatever it was. Money, uh, home being sold, illness, travel, anything and everything, right? And God's warning against that. God was warning the Israelites because he knew they were inclined to do so. And likewise, we too should heed the warning. Listen, there's, there's nothing, there really isn't anything wrong with some kind of a painting that shows a depiction of the Apostle Paul and Silas or Barnabas. And, or, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with those things. But there is a problem when we begin to look to that as if that has some kind of magical power. We start even praying to that. That's when we fall into idolatry. So again, Moses was warning the Israelites to not go there. Now, in verses 21 through 24, Moses is um, making sure that the Israelites know that God means what he says. Verse 21 says, Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Apparently, this is where Oprah went the other way, right? It's like, he's a jealous God. How is it that he can be a jealous God? You know, God being jealous, I don't believe that. Um, well, Oprah, you should have read it all in context, right? And uh, we need to read all of this in context. We need to know the heart of, of the Lord, how it is that he's, he's jealous for us, not in a sinful way. But we are his people. If, if you have kids, you know what that jealousy is. 
It's like you want that intimacy and you want that affection to be toward you. You are your children's parents and you, you want that. You desire that. And that jealousy will even drive you to bless them. It's a good jealousy, not a bad jealousy. See, we've perverted it, right? It's a good jealousy to bless them and to um, just cover them, be their covering and, and help them along uh, life to their benefit and blessing. And so what Moses is telling them, though, is that, you know, hey, listen, I'm going to use my own situation in that I'm not entering into the promised land with you. you you're going into the promised land, but I'm not going in. This is an example of how it is that God is patient, but he is just, and he will follow through what, with, uh, with what he has said and what he has promised. Remember how it is that uh, Moses uh, pretty much pleaded with the Lord to allow him to go into the promised land, and he told him, be quiet, don't want to hear anymore, you're not going in, right, in the last chapter. So Moses is telling him, hey, listen, you don't, don't rebel against God. Don't misrepresent him. Just obey him, follow him, because he's also a just God. God is fair, and there's not one person that will bypass what he says. And he says in verses 23 and 24, Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So obey the Lord fully, soberly. His fire is either refining, purifying, and strengthening to that which is proven genuine or consuming to that which is false. Moses knew this all too well, and he was just basically passing it along to the Israelites, warning them of this very fact. And then verse 25, as we continue, When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things uh, come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. You remember what the Lord Jesus told Peter? You're going to deny me. But after you're restored, what was he to do? You remember what he was to do? Strengthen his, his brothers, right? Why? Because he would know, personally and intimately, he would know himself reconciliation, restoration. He would know, personally, that the Lord never left him. He never forsook him. 
he um, was with them and he was desiring to forgive him and to bring him back in. And so we see this here, the, uh, disobedience and repentance all together. And that's why I didn't break it up into two sections. It's just, it's all one. It, it's all, we, we need to keep that in mind. And keep in mind also that Moses was telling them in the latter days when. It's not if you do, it's when you do. When you do, just make sure you know. God, God hasn't left you. He's not forsaken you. All you need to do is be careful to repent and to come back to the Lord. Um, in that place of judgment, there's opportunity to being reconciled through repentance. Reminds me of uh, what the Apostle John writes in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we're called to do. Repent, turn, confess, ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins. And he will. The Lord is merciful and even though we turn our backs on him, he will never turn his back on us. He will not destroy his people, not leave his people, not forget his people, and not forget the covenant that he made with his people. God is faithful even if we're not, is what the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.13. I love that. Even if we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he is God. He does not change his mind. Moses wanted them to know the path of reconciliation, confession, and repentance. Make sure you know that. We need to know that. So that way we don't question, you know, oh, man, I, I've, I've blown it really bad. Have I gone too far? And the answer to that question is, no, you haven't gone too far. If you're asking that question, you haven't gone too far. Confess your sins. Ask the Lord to forgive you. There's a road to reconciliation. It's called repentance, a genuine confession before the Lord, asking him to forgive you. That's what Moses wanted them to know. Verse 32, as we continue, for ask now of the days, for ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened, happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the, of the fire, as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of a, another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, your God, that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that, ye, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day, Know therefore today and lay, it, uh, and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments 
which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. Think of God's greatness. Think of his greatness. You have seen it with your own eyes. You've experienced it. You've come to know it. There is no one greater than our God, and he desires to bless his people. That is, that is amazing. Moses is saying once, once again, think about all the things that he's done for you. All the things that he's shown you. Think about those things. I know that for the person who is a true skeptic, a true skeptic, nothing will convince him otherwise because he'll be skeptical of the question that's asked, of any question that's asked, of any answer that's given. Well, how can you come up with that question or that answer? It, it's, a, it's always it's a never-ending cycle. It's all explained as an anomaly no matter what. But the Lord is saying that they couldn't know that he is God. Because of all that he had done and that they had seen. He was saying, it, it was me. It was me all the way through. From the beginning to the end. Ask the question. From one end of earth to the other. Still, it's me all the way through. I've revealed myself in so many different ways. There is no one beside our God. And God is reasoning with his people. Any reasonable person would look around and see creation, how amazing it is, and know that there is a designer, and he is intelligent. He's perfectly intelligent. He's reasoning with his people as God did with Job. He laid out the magnificence of who he is. In Job 38, verses 4 and 5, uh, the Lord speaking to Job said, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measure, measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And he goes on and on and on and on. There is evidence of intelligent design. And I would be hard-pressed to conclude with evidence after having regarded the details of creation to believe that there was nothing behind it and it all happened by random chance. I, I think that it would take more belief to believe that, more faith to believe that than it is to understand that there is a creator who created everything that we have. On top of that, these Israelites knew and experienced God like no one else had. No one else. We haven't been led by a pillar of fire by night and, and a cloud during the day. You know, where do you want me to go, Lord? Well, just follow the cloud. They did. Can you imagine even this place at some point being filled with the presence of the Lord so thick that no one could come in? That if God did speak to us, we may just fall over dead. One day we will hear his voice. We will see him. We will be in his presence in all of his glory because of the gift of Jesus Christ and the faith that we have in him. But these Israelites, they experienced all of that. Therefore, 
they were called on to believe and obey the Lord, that God may prolong their lives in the land that they, that they were given, the promised land. Finally, as we uh, go into the last couple sections here, quickly, uh, we've gone over the cities of refuge, and so we know that three are established east of the Jordan by Moses here, and there's another three that would need to be established as well. But Moses continues, and Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the manslayer might flee there, anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally, without being at enmity with him in time past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Manasites. So, uh, again, you know, Moses was just being basically obedient to the Lord. He had, he had established these uh, cities of refuge. And again, he established three, but he had three more to establish. Um, but um, the men who were able to fight were to go over the Jordan along with the rest of the tribes so to, uh, to ensure that they occupied their land before they came back and occupied the lands that were given to, to them, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, right? So we, we studied that. And then um, in closing... Uh, basically, it's an introduction to next week um, into the Ten Commandments. And that's what we have, starting in verse 44. This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt, beyond the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sion, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon, whom Moses and the people of Israel defeated when they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of, the, of his land and the land of Og, the king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites who lived to the east beyond the Jordan. From Erewer, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, as far as Mount Sirion, uh, that is Hermon. Uh, some, some translations, it's also Mount Sion. Uh, together with all the Arabah on the east side of the Jordan, as far as the, the sea of the Arabah, under the slopes of Pisgah. We'll go over the law next week, but uh, this is basically an introduction to uh, the, the proclamation of the law, the Ten Commandments. Um, it, in closing, I um, thought about the, the way that the Lord was reasoning with the people of Israel. The Lord reasons with us today through Scripture. Just read it through. He's, he's reasoning with us. It's like this, this dialogue that's happening. Well, what about this? And, and as, we, as we understand the word more, as we're more familiar with it, um, just know that he, it, it's pretty wonderful how it is that when you have certain questions about Scripture and you're going through it, he'll take you to different places in Scripture uh, to help you understand. Just always ask for the Spirit to, to guide you and direct you, give you understanding, uh, for that is the will of the Lord. But... I was reminded of what it says in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, which says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken, basically saying, period. In those verses, those few verses, verse 18 speaks of 
the prophetic future that will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's, it's done. As, as Jesus on the cross said, uh, it, is, it is finished to telestai. Um, it's done. And he paid for our sins in full by his blood. But we also in this, in these last two verses, verses 19 and 20, we also see how it is that, that Isaiah was speaking of, of the future of Israel. And he was warning them, just as we should heed God's warning today. We, we shouldn't be rebellious toward the Lord. We, we shouldn't change, we shouldn't add to the word of God. Um, we should follow the Lord and know that he desires to bless us. If we do fall, we repent, we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive, forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to remember all these things that the Lord has done in our past. Our failings in the past will serve our present. All of these things were laid out before the Israelites, and it would do us good today to also take heed to those words and apply them to our lives, to God's glory, and also to our blessing. That is to walk in peace and in the righteousness of the Lord. He calls us to be holy. We should be a holy people. Father, oh, we thank you, Lord, for, I can only say such a word of encouragement, Lord, of Lord, continuing to bless your people with the truth, with your word, with the bread of life. Lord, I, I ask, Lord, that you would reveal anything in our lives, things that are not of you, things that we may have done that we haven't even repented of. I pray, Lord, that we would that we would come to that place as your people and confess those things humbly before you and ask for your forgiveness. Lord, that we would know ourselves that peace which surpasses all understanding. Not being anxious about anything, not worrying for it won't add a day to our lives, a, nothing, a value. And it'd be quite the opposite. Worrying and being anxious and doubting and and remaining in our sin will only take life from us. I ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, that we would be a people who desires to bless you and honor you. Lord, may you truly be the one who is always on our minds and in our hearts that we would bless you and pass that along to our children and teach them those things that we have come to know. That generation upon generation, is, as long as you tarry, um, would know and be blessed by your word. We thank you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.